What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Favalli, coming at you both with and without my fantabulous co-host, Grant Hughes. We started uh, part one of our mailbag. Grant needed to leave. We still did about like half or a little bit less than half of part two. Actually, probably more than half, but we had a few other questions trickle in, so I'm going to tackle those. If I don't get to yours, it's because you submitted it after I recorded or we just had so many we were inundated with them. Quick housekeeping notes as per usual before we dive in, and I'll do my solo mailbag stuff, and then we'll get to Grant after that. Um, please remember to subscribe wherever you're consuming us. If this is your first time checking us out on YouTube, hit that sub button, like, comment, help the algorithm love us back. Also, if this is your first time checking us out via audio, consider throwing us the permanent subscription, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you get your, your audio pods. We'd really appreciate it. And do both. Be on YouTube and the audio podcast as well. If you've done both those things, word of mouth recommendations help a ton. Um, you know, retweet us, shout us out on Twitter. We love seeing that; it means a lot. You can join our Discord as well. We highly recommend it. Partake in those discussions. We have a lot of good combos in there. The Discord link is in the podcast and YouTube description. You can also DM me on Twitter at Tampa Valley for some reason if you can't get to it. Speaking of which, follow us on all the socials. The links and handles are in the podcast and YouTube description. It's at Hardwood Knox on TikTok and Twitter and at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. Finally, uh, I'm going to start a room in the Discord, but I'll accept DMs and mentions on Twitter. But for suggestions of like just shorter clips that will post natively to social like like Twitter or TikTok or or Instagram, maybe we'll combine them and make one giant pod. But something Grant and I want to focus on and then Ian Fowler, who's our social media clip producer at the moment. Um, just digestible, snackable segments. Maybe, you know, start bench cut ideas or who would you rather have? Who says no that now that we're leading into to trade season, of course? Um, just anything that could be short and will be in a minute or less that will answer it rather than us chopping up longer clips where sometimes the context can get muddied there. Uh, I believe that's all. So let's dive into the questions that we have left. And we are up to... Austin, uh, well, let's start with Leland had a, a question about Bradley Beal. Could you go into detail when it comes to Bradley Beal pl- trades? Like, I agree if teams wanted to outbid the Lakers for Beal, it would be easy. But even overlooking his no trade clause, how many teams would actually want to trade positive value for Beal? I assume you don't want your Knicks to do it. Clippers maybe, but they don't have a restart package for the Wizards either. Point is, I think Beal is already at his highest value, which is net neutral, and it only goes downhill from here as he gets older. This is interesting. I think that Beal on his current contract in a vacuum for this year and probably next year would net you positive value. You will you will send you will send him out and you will get picks prospects in return, even with his no trade clause. Once we get into year three, year four, year five of this two hundred and fifty plus million dollar deal, maybe he becomes more of a liability. I don't think even at that point, unless he suffers a catastrophic injury, which I hope doesn't happen, or or his play just falls off a cliff you're not going to be at the point where you have to get rid of assets along with him. I saw that. I was talking to Matt Moderno of uh, the Believe Wizards podcast. I went on the other day, check out that episode. And he had asked, there were some people that think that you would have to attach something to be able to get rid of him. No, his no trade clause makes him harder to move because it gives him a ton of say. Uh, That being said, you're going to get, I will call it positive value from you. You're not going to win that trade because he will most likely be the best player going out, but you can get a pick, a prospect more than that, probably expirings as well. You're not going to take on a, a shit ton of long-term money. What that package looks like, I don't know. The Lakers, if they wanted to, can go the route of Russ, and if there needs to be more salaries included, but they can give up to two firsts and two swaps. 
Um, that's not insubstantial, but there are teams that if they wanted to could outbid them fairly easily. And I think what's tough and this gets lost, you know, certainly even when I discuss it, that general managers, in this case, Tommy Shepard, let's say for the wizards, how much is he going to value a 2027 Lakers pick where in the back of his mind, he probably knows or thinks that he won't be the one making that pick. And so to take that as the crown jewel of any trade takes foresight that maybe not all executives operate with. And we saw Danny Ainge. Yeah, he did it with um, in Utah with Minnesota and Cleveland, but there was immediate stuff going back. He got control of their immediate drafts. He got some young players as well. In addition to the long-term draft picks. And I think that's what makes it tough. Even when you're talking about, you know, Pistons Reddit was pissed or didn't like, I shouldn't say pissed. That's really demeaning, but didn't like my idea that netted them two. I think it was two first round picks where they had a Lakers first round pick in 2027 to get Boyan Bogdanovich out of there. I would do it, but it's so far away that if you're a team that's rebuilding, it could be tough to see the vision. I, I still would take it. I think just because Boyan Bogdanovich, a case like his is just such a transient part of your team for the next year or two, and you're not going to be really good while he's there. Why not take the Lakers pick? So it's a flyer down the line, or it's a pick that you can repackage in other deals when the Pistons specifically don't have a ton of these extra picks as that pertains to Bradley Beal though. Uh, it just depends on where he wants to go. If he says, I want to leave and I only want to go to the Lakers, then that gives them leverage, not enough leverage to give up basically nothing for him, but that would give them leverage. The wizards might also prefer to deal with that over the off season. By the way, Bradley Beal can't be traded until January 15th after signing his contract. They might prefer to deal with that over the off season. Want to be easier to work within the Lakers cap space. Uh, so they don't necessarily have to take back Russell. What's left of Russell Westbrook's contract this year. It all depends though, on whether Beal would only accept a trade to the Lakers. If he also names the, the Suns or the heat or the, the Grizzlies as teams that he would be willing to play for, that changes everything. The Lakers, you know, if there's even a single other team on that list, the Lakers are not in all likelihood going to have the best offer that's out there. So, I mean, if it's the Clippers, yeah, unless they're going to give up PG or Kawhi, which they won't, they, they're not going to cobble together a better offer. And the Wizards presumably would be actually rebuilding if you're moving Bradley Beal. We don't have any inclination that that's what they're going to do. He's just kind of feels like the net, next natural superstar who may want out or will be on the chopping block just because his team is not going to be very good. Uh, could the Lakers outbid Dallas? No, not really, because you know Dallas's pick obligation New York will expire after this year, so there's going to be more flexibility with things they can do. I, I do think that this is probably... Maybe Beal says he wants to go to the Warriors. Would they get involved? Probably not, just because you have to give up core, a core piece to get him, whether it's Clay, Dre, or Wiggins to make the money work. Uh, but like there, if he's willing to play for another team that's not the Clippers, uh, the Lakers are probably going to be outbid. And so you need Bradley Beal to only want to play for the Lakers, essentially, whether that happens in the middle of the season or the offseason. I would be fairly floored if Bradley Beal gets moved this season just because it's a deal could be in place already, but it's such a small window between when he can be traded and the trade deadline on February 9th. And just also the Wizards don't seem intent on rebuilding. They feel more likely to make a move where, okay, even if they trade Kyle Kuzma, they might be trying to take back an, an impact player or a, or a longer deal um, that comes equipped with some picks. And then maybe they're hoping to sort of reset, make some trades over the off season. Uh, if, if they, you know, the big thing for them is could they get their pick to convey to New York this year? That opens up a wealth of opportunity for them. It doesn't look like it's going to, but that's sort of the dilemma that, that they're facing at the moment. So yes, I don't think, I do think Beal's probably at his highest value now, and I don't think it's going to decline necessarily over the next 18 months or so. 
especially given the way he's played when healthy this season. That being said, there is something to the effect of if you if this does go wrong or go sideways and you're the Wizards, you don't want to wait too long because then you're you are just dwindling down your potential return. Let's move on to, we had a bunch of questions from Austin. I'm going to try I'm going to give you four. You had a lot, Austin, which I very much appreciate, but I'm going to give you four. Uh, Austin asked, with Jalen Smith being somewhat of a hot and cold player this season, should the Pacers consider a shakeup in the starting four, like Brissett or Jackson, even though they promised Smith the starting gig this offseason? Uh, I've been impressed with some of the things that Jalen Smith has done defensively this year. It feels like he's been more up and down on the offensive end to me. Uh, but uh, yeah, I would absolutely try a change. And they, you know, that you had uh, Andrew Nimhard starting at the four the other night. Everyone on this podcast knows how I feel about O'Shea Brissett. And so I would absolutely uh, consider throwing him into the starting fold. I don't necessarily like, love Isaiah Jackson and Miles Turner in theory, but it does make a lot of sense when you look at what Miles Turner is able to do on offense. There's like ball skills to Isaiah Jackson, too, or at least ball skills, maybe not refined, that he wants to explore so look the pacers are in experimental mode i would actually expect them to be there'll be a lot of shape shifting in their starting lineup whether guys are injured or, or healthy or not as we play out the rest of this season but i would i would absolutely try that that's a no-brainer um for me austin i've also wondered like is o'shea Brissett a name that teams might just circle on their their trade deadline wish list is sort of this i don't think he's a super low-end player but a lower-end acquisition really cheap heading towards free agency applies and factor into the pacers Long term, it took him a while for his playing time to sort of get uh, hammered out there this season. That's just a name that I would watch. It's sort of a like take a flyer on this guy, and he could be really good. Austin also asked, "What fringe contender slash want to be contender do you think will take a big swing at the deadline?" This is tough because there's what what I think is really difficult for me specifically is what like what contenders will fringe contenders will do and what I want them to do. It's like, I can sit here and say, well, I think the Raptors should, uh, you know, go all in on a trade. Maybe not, not all, all in my like Kevin Durant's not available or something, but they should make a buy now trade. Will they actually, I wouldn't expect them. I think it's more likely. And we talked, we'll talk about this at length more with grant or we might. Yeah. It'll be coming up in this mailbag. Uh, they're probably more likely to become sellers. If not, and so like, this is just tough. I mean, I already consider the Cavs a contender and sort of, you know, they can't really go all in. They just need to acquire a three. Josh Richardson or Gary Harris, assuming he's healthy, would be really good for them. Seen a lot of folks like Robert Covington for them. And I guess, you know, upgrade and shooting there, uh, if, especially if Dean Wade's not healthy. But I, you know, uh, is is that qualified? And they're not a fringe because they're a contender to me right now. Like Golden State is the fringe contender at this point. They're sitting below 500. Steph Curry's dealing with a shoulder injury. We will podcast about that more if it's anything serious. Hopefully, it's not by the time you listen to this. Uh, Dallas, I think, is an easy one. They're just so hamstrung. They don't have young players that teams are interested in. I know some fans uh, think that Jane Harvey and maybe Josh Green amount to like first round pick equity. That's still not step laddering your way to a to a massive deal. So. I and I'm all not all for them waiting if there's a deal out there like you should definitely explore it but I get the value of waiting for your picks to expire the obligations to expire that you owe to New York so that you can go make that all in trade I I so the Warriors are there for me assuming Steph is going to be healthy after that I don't consider the Lakers a fringe contender I probably look at if we frame it this way Miami and Memphis would be two teams that I want to do something uh, I think a lot of people might be asking me to 
pick the Pelicans here, and we know how I feel about the the Pelicans with regard to how how they should go after Miles Turner. I I was listening to a Zach Lowe podcast where he says he doesn't think the Pelicans need to do anything, which I would agree with, and that he wouldn't go after Miles Turner if it costs more than just an off-handed first-round pick. That I disagree with. Like if it's on the table and you need to give up a little bit more than Jonas Valanciunas and like a top twenty protected first round pick, and it's not costing you Trey Dyson Daniels, like you know those core players of the future. Yes, I'm I'm still looking at it. And also Miles Turner would be interesting for Memphis. By the way, you could go lower end there too if you're the Pelicans. Not to go on a Pel. I, we have a question about the Pelicans coming up. But like they could go after someone who fits the bill of what we would like them to get. Uh, even if it's like lower end, like it's, you know, Mo Bamba's name is probably going to circle in trade rumors. Now he's playing well for Orlando, uh, but Bol Bol is there. Wendell Carter Jr. is going to be healthy at some point. They're super big. Maybe, you know, Jonathan Isaac will, will stay healthy uh, in, in some alternate reality. Uh, could you even look at, you know, do you think you could reboot a Dwayne Dedman? Just someone that you could pick up on that. Like, would the Heat be interested in Devonte Graham trade just because he might give their half court offense some, some juice. And so you could look lower end. I don't think Nas Reed would be kind of interesting for new Orleans, new Orleans, but yeah, I need to let's stop talking about new Orleans for a minute. So I think they're already a contender, but Miami or Memphis would be two teams where it feels like they are at least Miami more so than Memphis feels like it's more than one player away where Memphis is kind of like, yeah, they're there, but like they need like one significant player where if it's the Denver nuggets and they don't have much to trade, it just feels like some odds and ends. It feels like a semi-significant player for them. And so if you can get, someone um, who's impactful uh, this year, I would absolutely look at it. And I've thought about Memphis, you know, and then now's the time of year where I'm trying to go through trade targets a lot for teams. I've thought about Boyan Bogdanovich. I've thought about Eric Gordon for them, even though he's kind of on the smaller side and you do have Bain and Morant. So maybe you do have enough just sort of half court creation and, and then spacing when looking at the rest of the roster. But I would like to see them do something that would be more than just on a smaller scale. It doesn't have to be the all in play that people want. I also think that market needs to exist. And hey, right now it doesn't. Like we don't have that all in worthy player on the the chopping block. Who is who is the best? Like we know about how no one's untouchable, but who's the best player readily available for trade right now? It has to be Miles Turner. So like that's not something you're necessarily going all in for unless you're the Lakers. And so I look at Memphis and Miami and like, we've seen some things in Miami perk up. Uh, Kyle Lowry got better after his really rough start was playing entirely too much. At, at one point, I think Tyler hero has been solid for them. Uh, Kayla Martin's been uh, pretty good for them, even though you don't necessarily want him as you're starting for. So you know, Miami could make a trade like for a Jay Crowder. I think they need a player who is better than the Jay Crowder though. I think he would make a world of difference. I would make the trade if you could. Um, but I, I would think that, that player needs to be substantially better than a Jay Crowder. Do I throw Orlando into this discussion after their four game winning streak uh, as a fringe contender? What do you do about Phoenix too? And we have a question on them. Do you consider them as fringe contender when they've kind of been in the toilet lately? I still think they're kind of like in that nuggets tier on the, and even the Grizzlies tier on their own. But if we're going to talk about the Grizzlies in that vein, if there's an all in trade to be made in your Phoenix, yeah, I would, I would do it. But again, we have a question coming up on them as well. Philly, they just don't have much to trade, and so I don't know what, what they do. Uh, Portland, Sacramento, I don't think either of them are fringe contenders. I think it would be, I want Toronto to do something. But when it when it comes to the question of will they, the team I'll pick that I predict just does something substantial will be Miami, because that's just sort of their MO, where the Grizzlies, that's never really been how they've operated. Austin also asks, are the Martin brothers, Caleb and Cody, actually worth much? From my small sample space, they seem like some 15th man off the bench bums but you bring them up quite often as someone teams should pursue. 
Yeah, uh, because I've, I, one, think that you're very wrong on the classification of the Martin twins. I mean, my God, if you wanted to say, I don't know what value Cody has when he's missed so much time this season, but uh, like they're, they're just good gap filler players. And Kayla Martin specifically, I mean, like this is someone who is filled incapably at points at the four this year. And he gives you a lot of different things, um, options on offense. And like, you know, he can, he can handle the ball a little bit. Um, this, you know, one of like the more wild sets he's, he's averaging 1.6 points per isolation possession right now. And he's using an ISO possession per game. He's shooting 66.7% in those situations. Like this is someone who can play off the ball on the ball, be moved around positionally, um, defensively. I think that there's like a little bit of playmaking to this game as well. I think that there's real value in getting someone like him and being him being so plug and play and versatile, um, that they could make a, a really big impact. I thought about him as an answer. We had the question of who's the worst player that could get traded that might swing like the, a playoff discussion or a playoff race. I thought about him as an answer. Uh, I think I ultimately ended up on Gary Harris, but like these are good players and their deals I think are reasonable. Again, Cody Martin, the injuries, you know, getting like basically close to the full mid level type money. I, I totally understand why there might be some, some hesitance there, but uh, like these are two when they're healthy, like they are two very useful players. And so, yes, if you want to use the Cody Martin, what does he have a quad injury that's kept him out for basically, it feels like the entire year at this point. Um, so like, yeah, I, I, I don't trade for him, I guess, because they don't have a timetable for his return, but Caleb Martin, I don't know if the, he would even be looking to trade him because he's like kind of important to what they're doing this season. And then our final question from Austin, uh, why the fuck is there a need to keep adding more and more awards? I think a lot of people share this sentiment uh, other than the fact that the NBA can slap a sponsor on them clutch player. That's just corny as hell. Anyways, who should pick, who should pick for it? Uh, yeah. I like, I don't really have a problem with any, we didn't talk about it, but that's like, uh, it doesn't, not that it doesn't interest me, but yeah, it's cool that like most improved player, I guess is named after George Mikan, even though I don't, you know, like, what does that actually mean? I get celebrating the past of the game and not naming it after current players. I don't know if these trophies needed a rebranding in the first place. The additional award is just, Hey, like we want more things to talk about, which I guess is just, I mean, aside from being dangerous is, is pretty fine. I, I think the Zach Lowe mentioned this too, but like the clutch player discourse is going to plummet and descend into the depths of hell at some point. And it's, I think it's going to turn into like sixth man of the year type criteria but just in the clutch if i had to pick right now i think candidates would include demar Derozan's probably there once again damian lillard shocker uh who you know the award should really be named after uh, at some point is is going to be there as well i think shay has been pretty good in the clutch you know you're also to like sort of consider team record there and so you know demar rosen has been good but the bulls are 3 11 in clutch games uh, and he hasn't been as good as last year. Uh, like Jalen Brunson's been like low key good for the Knicks in the in the clutch, sixty uh, plus percent true shooting. De'Aaron Fox, he's hit some really big shots for the Kings this year, and they've won uh, a bunch of clutch clutch time games. Even Donovan Mitchell, uh, Steph Curry hasn't really hit the three, but has made some big shots, and now he's injured, so we'll have to see. Those are names that kind of spring up if you were to make like the statistical case. And just say like clutch win probability added from unpredictable. I wanted to see who led the league. It's Shea Gilgis Alexander. So it's good that he shows up on the list. DeMar DeRozan is actually second. Jeremy Grant is third. 
Anthony Simons is fourth, and Kevin Durant is fifth. And uh, you could pick Kevin Durant for whatever. Uh, Zion and Steph are six and seven, by the way. Giannis is eight. Dame is nine. Kelly Olenek is ten. How about that? So I, I, oof, I had to pick right now. I, and let's, I, I don't know. I feel like I want to go with Shea, but the Thunder are six and 11 in clutch games. And so what do I do with that? It might just, if you have to balance winning and just performance, Damian Lillard, even though the sample size is smaller, might, might just be my pick at the moment. Thank you for those questions off Austin. Those were all good. We have a pair of Pelicans questions. One from JT Alexander. Are we allowed to consider the Pels a title contender? If this current iteration of the team hasn't won a playoff series or is a view or is that view completely arbitrary um i get if you need to have like some semblance of skepticism towards the pelicans just because they haven't you know won a playoff series with this core before but we saw them put up a fight shorthanded against phoenix last year and they've done a bulk of their damage this season while having to navigate injuries and absences cj's missed some time hasn't always looked great this season when from a scoring perspective Brand Ingram is still missing time right now. Herb Jones has missed a bunch of time. Zion missed some time himself. And they're just floating around top five in offense and defense, winning games, sitting at the top of the, the Western Conference. So I think, yeah, it's fair to call them contenders right now. If the criteria is like you have to have a track record of doing it, uh, that just becomes really tough. And we'll be like, are the Cavs not contenders because they haven't won a playoff series with this core? Uh, you know, it, I don't like that. Just that rings a little hollow to me. I think it's just because they're not sort of stocked with their traditional amount of veterans that people might doubt them that way. It's fair to have concerns about Zion. Like, can they stay healthy for one? It's not even just about Zion at this point, if we're being honest and look windows close title windows close so quickly in the NBA today that there's not even time to be like, Oh, this team won a couple playoff series because cores aren't together that long. We've seen title windows sort of dissipate in two, maybe three years tops of late and so like there it, i'm not saying there needs to be a rush to coronate but like we don't need to say oh the pelicans aren't contenders because they haven't done that before zion's an mvp candidate and the pelicans are championship contenders that's just the fact of the matter right now should they be championship favorites are they actually favors to come out of the western conference do they need to make a trade um those are all different discussions but as of right now when you look at the inner circles of championship contenders if you still want boston and milwaukee in a tier of their own but when we're talking cleveland when we're talking, I'm just not ready to throw Brooklyn in here. When we're talking Memphis, when we're talking Denver, like yeah, to me they belong. Even if as the tier is Phoenix right now, just because of you know the way that the Suns have been playing, I might have had like Memphis and Denver and Phoenix in a tier above the Pelicans earlier, but just not anymore based off the results that we've seen. All we can do is watch the games, look at the data, like take in, evaluate what the rest of the league is doing. And so the Pelicans, it's it's fair to consider them contenders. You don't have to consider them favorites, even though they're first in the West. And you can even say, if you want to sit here and say, look, I trust the Warriors to, if they make the playoffs to be content, to win a championship more than the Pelicans. I think that's fair. But I don't know that we could sit here and say just because the Pelicans haven't done it before, they're not contenders. That wouldn't be in the spirit of uh, trying to interpret which teams are contenders anyway, but especially with windows closing and opening so quickly now, um, you need to kind of like keep with that pace. And you don't want to wait too long to, because – like teams aren't waiting too long before they tear down what they consider a non-contender or a contender that's past its its expiration date. Our next question on the Pelicans comes from Leland, and he asks if Pelicans wanted to be frisky in the Western Conference. There's a scenario. Is there a scenario where the Pelicans um, could trade their way into being the favorites? So many assets. Um, could they make one superstar trade or two key trades, or maybe even one of the former, one of the latter? The answer here is 
probably yes, that they could trade their way into being favorites. I don't, they'll never be the betting favorites just because of how those markets are determined and how they work, but they absolutely could trade their way to being, Oh, like, yeah, we're, they would beat the Grizzlies or we have confidence in them above the warriors. With that being said, does the Miles Turner trade do that? For me, it would. It depends on what they give up. But if assuming they're not giving up any of the, like, let's say the core six or seven guys, when it's Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, Trey Murphy, Dyson Daniels, uh, Zion, CJ, Brandon Ingram, and then, like, do you want to give up Larry Nance Jr. in that trade, given how good he's been? No, like, you would prefer at this point to give up money, Jonas Valanciunas even, and then picks. If they make that trade, they would come close to being there for me. The superstar trade for which they are built, again, that rests on the market. And I don't know. It would take a very specific kind of superstar at this point when you look at Zion's in the MVP discussion. And, like, you have the Pelicans have obliterated opponents when he and McCollum have played together today. Even if you think there's some complexities to how the offense must work with them, if it's not Kevin Durant, who is it? Pascal Siakam would be pretty interesting for this team um, to play him next to, to Zion. I guess maybe you could still be concerned about the spacing there. Miles Turner feels like functionally a, a better fit. Um, so yeah, actually with Ingram and McCollum there, Pascal Siakam is probably not a great fit. I, I would love to see it just to be clear. Um, if it's Carl Anthony Towns, like you're really rolling the dice on your defensive risk there, but that would make some sense. It's so it's like, and Kevin Durant, that's the superstar I keep coming back to. I'm trying to think of superstars that could technically hit the market uh, this season. So I think that, and I framed it this way, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. It's not even Miles Turner. If, if we're looking for the Pelicans to really juice up their championship stock, and again, they may not need to. They could, they could stay the same and be content, but they don't need to acquire a player as good as Miles Turner to make that jump. That is the point that they're at. It's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of what the level would be. Is it, is it a Mobamba? Maybe that's too, a little bit like too iffy here. Um, you know, but, but like that, it's like that level of player. Like it's, if it's someone who's maybe like your eighth or ninth guy, like that's the tweak that you're making. Uh, so that's really what I would go with is if they, they could make a big swing if they want to, let's make that clear. They had those Lakers picks. They have all their own picks. They have some interesting young players if a star does become available, but I think it's really hard to find the the star, even if it's a top 20, top 25 guy, that would really make sense for them to go all in on, aside from Kevin Durant, if he does re-reach the, the trade market. Um, could they use like another just sort of like three-point volumist? Absolutely. So like you bring up like Malik Beasley could work in that role for them. Um Jordan Clarkson is probably too small for that, although he would help. Gary Trent Jr., maybe. I don't know if they would trust his shot selection. Is Josh Richardson high volume on threes enough for them? He at least wouldn't compromise the defense. So those like those are all names, though, that would work, where if you acquire them, I think you could say, holy shit, the Pelicans really souped up their, their championship stock here. Uh, Gary Harris, even, assuming he's healthy, he's dealing with some hamstring stuff right now. Is that you know, maybe that too a little bit? low end probably not like the Pelicans are so good that the, the answer is no. And like, so if you were to take sort of a risk on a player, then, then it's a little bit different where it's a very high impact player, but the fit is sort of risky. You could go one way or the other. Like if Pascal Siakam did for some reason become available and they decide to kick the tires on that. So I, I, the Pelicans to answer your question, Leland, yes, they are built to do whatever they could do small. They could do two medium size. They could do one star trade. They could do one star trade and then kind of a smaller trade. I don't think the superstar trade market right now exists for them to be involved or for that matter, many other teams to be involved, uh, but they should be on the lookout for like even the medium sized moves where they just might be a little bit reluctant to give up more. 
Um, I think they should be on the prowl for those. Miles Turner, again, is the name that I will continue to drive home. But even if it's a smaller scale, that's a team that I think can target smaller scale. And it still ends up making this massive difference for um, their championship chances, which, again, as of right now, I would argue seem already pretty high. And it's not like, you know, they shouldn't be so desperate as to throw the the idea of money out the window where it's, oh, you know what? Like if the Mavs want to give us this version of Tim Hardaway Jr. right now, like let's eat that money and do it. I'm not saying they should go out and do that, even though in theory, Tim Hardaway Jr. is a good fit. But if it's someone who's going to provide you with some functional shooting and volume there, um, or who's really going to improve like your setup in the front court next to Zion, who I I still think Turner would be an upgrade over Larry Nance Jr. and Jonas Valanciunas there. I think you look at it, or maybe it's just fortifying both of those on the lower end. Like we said with, with a Mobamba, um, that you could, so you could look at that, uh, or, and I'm trying to think of like, you know, if you got like a, I don't know if he would play, but like a Garrison Matthews for this team, taking a flyer on him out of Houston, depending on what the cost is like, that could be something that works. I thought about like this sort of straddles the two lines of, Oh, is it too big of a swing? But maybe it works. It would be Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, but is that too, just like you have McCollum, you have Ingram and is, is Bogdanovich going to give you enough like three point volume? It's, if Kevin Herter was available, which he shouldn't be because of what he's done for the Kings this year, like that would be more of a type of player you could go with. Uh, but Bogdanovich would be sort of an interesting name, depending on what the asking price is for, for him. Uh, let's get to these last few questions here. They will come out of discord. And these were some stragglers that came in after we recorded. Usher has two. If the NBA is two to four point line of season, do you think Curry would easily be the MVP given how that may inflate his scoring numbers? Or do you think his efficiency would dip since he may try and hunt those shots down more frequently? Completely hypothetical, but just a thought exercise. Love the show as always. Thank you, Usher. Really appreciate uh, every time anyone says kind words. So I guess, yes. Like, could it be Steph? Could it be could it be Steph Curry just because there's a four point line? Yeah. I mean, his three point volume now, I'd imagine he'd probably take the most four pointers in the league. Could it also be someone who's like maybe not hitting those off the dribble deep looks, but they're comfortable firing away from wherever. Like does Trey Murphy all of a sudden become an MVP candidate here. I think if they added a four point line, I wouldn't guarantee it, but we could frame it this way. The MVP odds of Steph Curry would significantly improve. And I think you could maybe even say the same for Damian Lillard would be another name to watch out from there. I wouldn't even throw Trey in that combo just yet, especially the Hawks have been all over the place. So those would be the two players that I think would benefit in the MVP case the most if the NBA instituted a four four point line. Usher also also asks, um, f- fuck it. Can I be annoying and ask the second mailbag question with the Suns just looking miserable? I think it's safe to say CP three has finally taken too big of a step backwards to be the main co-star for book. And while I think Mikhail and DA have real value, they're not consistently good enough to be the second best player on a contender. I've always been of the mindset of maximizing the CP three era, but if it's not possible to get a piece good enough to take us over the top cough, cough KD, could we just keep our assets and wait for better opportunities? It feels like the only one untouchable pieces book. And even though I like McKinnon DA, they have to be seen as third options at best. That's a really good and honest question about the Suns, And I, I would actually agree here roughly. So if you're the Suns, this is, I guess this is how I would frame it. If you can trade your 2023 pick to make an upgrade, that is a, or a roster addition where it's salary that pick and you're getting Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, I don't know if I would give up that pick for Eric Gordon, I would probably want something else in that deal, KJ Martin, but then you probably have to give up a little bit more. But a deal of that scale where you're not trading 2024 first or beyond, it's just salary, 
that 2023 pick and then whatever seconds you're including here. So you're not even giving up core players. You could trade Jay Crowder, Dario Shards is expiring deal as well. Landry Shamit. Um, you can move those guys. I make that deal because I do think that maybe you don't need a traditional then second superstar where CP three is still going to give you good moments as a passer, at least um, and DA and Mikel bridges. You can count on them to combine to make a consistent third best player on a playoff team. Like just sort of getting someone else who enters the conversation as one of your six best players or someone maybe you consider putting in certain closing lineups during high leverage moments that goes a long way. And so it doesn't have to be a star, but it's like, are they a team that really shouldn't go towards the middle where if it costs giving up more than one first round pick, if you are looking at giving up a Mikael Bridges or a DA, yeah, I don't think they should go there unless the superstar market develops and like KD would be perfect for them. It's really tough to figure out, well, what's the other name that you would want for the Suns? If Bradley Beal all of a sudden became available, he makes a lot more sense than CP3 as a co-star for Booker right now, especially with the way that we know Book can run an offense. I don't think CP3 is as integral in the sense that you don't need a superior visionist on the ball to maximize book at this point. I think he could just do it. And so Bradley Beal is good enough to put on the ball a bunch that you could work that. I don't even know what, I'm not even going to begin to think about what a deal like for Bradley Beal, the Phoenix would absolutely look like you would be rolling the dice a little bit with this contract is CP three, a part of that. And what is that like? Because the wizards are looking for cap relief and picks attached to it. But if there's not going to be that level, I'm going to say another top 20 or 25 guy who actually fits the roster. I don't know. Carl Anthony Towns would be a fun name with Devin Booker just because they're 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 homies, but and he wouldn't be a bad fit on offense. But what DA brings in theory on defense, I think is more important. And I mean, maybe not because like the Suns have been able to get all this value out of the starting these uh, retreats at fives or just second chance first like unknowns or hidden gems. Let's call them at the five, but. DA is significantly higher end than that. And what he brings defensively is, is super important. Uh, still, like if names pop up, Siakam's always been someone I think Suns have been lusting after. So I'm I'm with you in the sense, Usher, that yes, hold for the bigger opportunity if there's not one out there. Don't go for the double. Don't go for the, if you need to hit a, if you're going to hit a single, but don't go for the double or even the triple. You go for the home run or you go for the single, slash, even if it's a double. And I would just frame that as, if it costs you this year's first round pick, than any of your non-core players and, and seconds, okay. But if you're giving up multiple firsts and maybe a Cam Johnson, uh, maybe a Mikael Bridges, it needs to be for a Caps Lock star. And I do think we're at the point where, yes, it's fair to wonder, does it need to be a Caps Lock? Like, we, I think we so often viewed as, yeah, when Kevin Durant was slowing around out there, uh, it was different because you know how good he is. But does it have to be a more decided player now if you're going to go all in? Like, I think before, if CP3 was going to be who we thought he was this season. Like, yeah, you could go for the double. You could go for the triple. And it's just sort of, oh, boy, Bogdanovich takes you over the top. Or maybe Eric Gordon even. Um, and maybe they still do. It's just less likely. And so I think the cost of getting them is not more prohibitive, but you need to be more stingy about it. And we don't have to worry about the Suns being stingy uh, under James Jones slash Robert Sarver still does own this team, which is just another interesting aspect is how much are they willing to go all in on this trade when you know ownership is, is so unsettled. Um, that's why they're going to be fascinating. I think they need to do something, but I'm with I'm I'm with Usher in the sense that no, it doesn't need to be uh, something for the sake of something. It needs to make sense, and either needs to be more lower cost, or if you're going all in, uh, make it for the right player. Otherwise, wait around because you still have time. Like Book Bridges, Aiton, they're all young, they're all under contract. Uh, even Cam Johnson, you're going to have team control on him after this year, and hopefully he'll be healthy and 
um, he'll he'll up his value, not just for trade purposes over the summer, but just in general to your team. But just having Jay Crowder sitting there, not doing anything on this roster, like that's a like that's just some low hanging fruit here that I think you could like, even just if you get Josh Richardson on this team for a second, just do it. Just like that's a move where it's no, I don't know that it boosts your championship chance as much as I would have said at the beginning of the season, but it helps you in the interim, especially look, you're not going to start Damian Lee anyway. You want to give a starting spot to Landry Shamit when there are certain injuries on the board uh, like Booker. I'd rather have Josh Richardson there. This will be, I believe, our final question. Uh, well, we have two questions. So Retro Braden, Lonzo's an interesting buy-low guy right now. Do you think the Clippers could trade for him and afford to let him rehab his knees this season and bring him back next year? I responded by saying, do the Clippers really need someone else with lower body issues? Uh, Retro said, yes, you need to go all in. I don't think the Clippers could get Lonzo just because unless you're willing to give up the 2029 first. And again, you run into the issue once more of, uh, you know, uh, Karnasavas, is he going to want that value all the way in the distance when he's probably not the one making or even moving that pick? Get into a whole weird conundrum there. But uh, the package laid out included like Jason Preston, John Wall, Robert Covington. I just don't think that does it. A bunch of transient players, assets mostly, for uh, Lonzo at that point, I'd rather he's not, you know, if you're the bulls and you're trying to get worse or just not be too good, he's not, he's not hurting you either way because he's not playing right now in Lonzo. So I'd rather see what he looks like post recovery. He'd be w- maybe worth more to you via trade or just more as a player than what the Clippers could offer for another team. Um, I thought, you know, I thought about the OKC for this. I know they have Giddy and Gilders Alexander and Giddy's been playing pretty well right now, but like OKC, buying like medium on Lonzo and he's out for the season. So whatever they're trying to do this year, whatever you come back next year with uh, SGA, maybe another nice pick uh, from this year's draft, Josh Giddy, Chet Holmgren, healthy Kenridge Williams, still there. Usman Jang in a bigger role, Jalen Williams, Alexei Pokashev. Like that's a, like, like this team is already sort of just interesting when you try and scale ahead on paper. But if there's a, if there's a fun, buy low or let's say like buy one like medium or low ish on lot or medium ish on Lonzo. Okay. C would be it for me. I don't know if anyone shares that those thoughts there, but I think for, I think for teams in general, yeah, if you can sort of withstand like the rest of this season and you want to go after Lonzo and the bulls are willing to move him and you're rolling the dice, why not? Like just a high IQ player, really good defender. Um, and he's going to, you know, he'll disrupt on defense can play with him like as a, as a team defender really well. And he's also like got the, at least as far as we saw from last season and even just later on in his portion with New Orleans, like he has the three point volume and efficiency. He's never going to be the half court, slow it down, run, pick and roll, put pressure on the rim type of guard. But if you're not looking for that, or if you just want a really high IQ useful player and you're not thinking about, you're not thinking that you're going places this season anyway, um, yeah, he would be absolutely perfect there. He'd be kind of fun in Golden State too, but they need him more immediately unless Steph is going to be injured. Uh, but OKC though is my favorite one. I know some people might like Orlando for that, but I would prefer them to have like more of a like creator in the half court if they're going to go the guard route. Not that he would be a bad fit, but I don't know if he's the one. I guess if you're buying low, it doesn't really matter. So Orlando could definitely work there. Houston could definitely work in that scenario. Speaking of Houston, Nugs asked, would you trade MPJ straight up for Jabari Smith Jr.? Uh, if I'm Denver, absolutely. He could. He looks like a might be a monster on defense already, and you could slide him next to Jokic and Aaron Gordon and KCP. Like, those lineups, holy crap. If I'm the Rockets, absolutely not. I mean, Michael Porter Jr. might have the higher-end outcome still, just if you believe him as more of an established commodity, but I prefer the unknownness of Jabari Smith Jr., especially when we're talking about the injuries of MPJ. We haven't seen a ton of self-creation from him uh, on on offense either to this to this point either 
uh, to this point, excuse me. So no, I would not, uh, I would not do that trade at all if I was, if I was Houston, but yeah, if I'm, if I'm Denver and that just sort of like stumbled into that, Oh, hell yeah. Like, Hell yeah, bring him to me. That'll do it for this first portion of the mailbag. We're going to get to the second, which would make it the third portion of this mailbag. Thank you all for the great questions as always. It'll be me coming back with my fantabulous co-host, Grant Hughes. This is from Herb Jones Enjoyer. If you could change any rule in the NBA, what would you change? For instance, like MLB having different length fields, teams could have different levels of three-point lines. I don't know what, and I, I feel like we might have had this question on a different mailbag, so I'm going to try and hope I don't get the same answer. I don't know what the change is, but we got to get rid of like these, these charge rules. There's just like, you're putting everybody in danger. You're putting the, the players trying to finish the person who sacrificed themselves for a charge. I've seen some people say that we should abolish the charge completely. I don't like the idea of saying that a defender essentially can't exist in space, <laughs> yeah. but like we, we got to do something to just like th- some of these are just so egregious and you're putting players in active risk just to get a foul call. Then I don't know what, how you make it punitive enough or dissuade it enough. It's, you can't really move it like the quote unquote, like restricted area out further because like, I feel like that could actually do more damage than mm-hmm. it being closer to the basket. So I don't really know what the, what the answer is, but there needs to be something to cut down, not even just on the number of charges, but the number of times that they are attempted. Yeah. I think it's so, it's so difficult because you really do like what you said is a defender is entitled to be standing still in a somewhere like anywhere in theory. And you can't, so you can just knock that dude. Like that's never going to work. I think maybe you get really strict about the defensive player has to be just dead set, not moving at all and be super strict about, at the at the gather of the offensive player or like like it has to be you got to be there waiting and to for it to be a charge the guy has to see you standing there and just knock you over running into your something something really strict where it's you don't have you know these experts at it like Blake Griffin or Kyle Lowry or Kevin Love where they're super good at timing like the offensive player commits and then they get set and it's close enough where if you sell it it's called a charge even though probably shouldn't be mine is this is I watched some of the Mavs game last night and it's Luca specific, but we can apply it universally. Minimum, argue, maximum of five dribbles per touch. Is that what? No, separate. I have another gripe. We've if if you argue a call, the refs have the option to challenge you, <laughs> and, if, and if you are wrong, it's two fouls. You get two fouls. So every time you throw your hands up, and then you look at the replay, and it's like, yeah, he like halfway murdered the guy, and he's acting like he didn't touch him. Oh, the ref can say like, bullshit, sir. I'm going to challenge your challenge and it's going to be two fouls. It'll never happen because you don't want to make it confrontational, but I'm just like, I'm sick of the dead obvious fouls where it's just like, this is a crime against humanity is the reaction of the player. He just doesn't want to get back on defense. I can't. That's what he's conserving himself for the next offensive possession is what he's doing. I just, I'm sick of it. I don't like, and maybe because I watched a lot of soccer during the world cup, the flopping is really killing me. Um, It's just part of soccer and I get it. And it's, it has the effect of like, turning it into a finesse sport where you're not supposed to knock people over. And that's good for basketball too. But I just, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be acceptable to know you obviously foul the guy and pro like Patrick Beverly does every foul he commits. It's the same thing. Um, if, if you're wrong and the, and the ref calls you on it, it's two fouls or we could do something else. It's like double the free throw attempt, something we got, we got to figure it out. I love that. And man, I'm going to think about it. The other obvious one for me was I want to change the goaltending rules. Like, let's go full FIBA 
on the rim, you can whack it off. Let's teach like let's teach people like DeAndre Ayton that they need to really go yeah. up with force consistently. Yeah, go dunk more basketballs. That's a good one. Uh, this one is mine to you. Better solution to prevent tanking. This is from Real Syrup 2219. One, flat lottery odds. Every team gets the same chance, even the champs. Two, rookie free agency. Rooks can sign wherever they like. So I, I have, I'm kind of going to punt. I actually think the play-in and the flattened lottery odds are like pretty close to as good as we can do because the other ones are so extreme and you won't really know what the fallout would be. But let's say if you flat totally flat lottery odds, there's going to be a riot when like the Celtics win the first pick and they get Wimbanyama or something like that. It'll just take one instance where it's just, it, it's not it, the, the fallout could be too significant. And like they're just, it's a reality that certain teams just the way forward is to get a young cheap player. That's really good. And you've lost a bunch of games. And so you have the right to get that guy. It just kind of, I, I think it, there is some logic to it, even if you are rewarding failure and that kind of feels icky. The other thing, if you went full rookie free agency, I think you would just have a class divide that got even wider. Um, you'd have to, I've seen proposals where it's like, you can give each team has X number of credits or something that they can spend. However they choose over a certain number of years, I guess, but it's like, if it's a free for all and it's about money, the LA is the New York's, the big markets are just going to have more to offer. And if all things are equal money wise, you, what you're going to have are teams in mid markets having to overpay and hamstring themselves financially because they wanted this one guy. And now they can't, it'll just be, well, how do they get enough talent around him? Or how do they keep this guy on his next deal? I, I just think like it's taken a long time to get where we are with teams. You know, we've got four or five teams that, theoretically are tanking even they're not just egregious about it that's not bad that's not bad i don't i don't mind it how it is i think i'm with you there i even gave him when i was looking at this consideration too if you went to rookie free agency because i have the same concerns you do if you still kept the rookie scale amount where it's like if you finish with the best record in the league like you only have x amount to offer the rookie i don't know if that would do enough to dissuade like oh okay what are the bird rights rules? Like will a top rookie just sign in New York or with LA for three seasons and then they'll get their money afterwards. And the other thing is just like, can they, will that increase like tampering or just like shady stuff off the court where it's like, it's supplemented by the sponsorships that they would get. And I'm all, I, I want players to have as much agency in their own careers as possible. But I ultimately don't think that if you want to incentivize teams to be in these small markets and be hyper competitive and spend um, to be hyper competitive, that creates too uneven of a playing field. I do think if you're going to go the rookie free agency route, like there does have to be some type of, I don't know if you referenced it before with the credit system or the rookie scale stays in place with your, the amount you can offer a rookie is directly like, and maybe they increase like what you can offer, like based on how bad your record is. Um, so, and like exponentially, so like that, it's a marketed difference from even the number two or number three teams just to see if like, you know, college kids coming out, are they going to want to take that? that money, I just feel like it still creates this or at least threatens to create this stark imbalance more so than we already have. Yeah. I think the best solution would be is if you think there's still too much tanking, maybe you just flatten the odds a little more. You never get to where everybody has equal chances, but you could just incrementally disincentivize finishing with the worst record. And then I think maybe the, the flip side is you maybe create incentives for, you know, 
being a 30 win team as opposed to like a 19 win team. I don't know how you really enact something like that, but you know, the last 20 games of the season of your record are like this separate thing. And so maybe based on how that works, like, yeah, if you're the thunder and you finish with 19 wins, but you go like, you know, six and 14 over your last 20, you're going to have a better chance than a team that, you know, won less overall or was worse over that. Like, there's just ways you could try to incentivize wins late maybe, but they could that. do like, could you do a tournament amongst the lottery teams? Like while the real playoffs are going on, like you have another tournament going on where you actually have to win to be like, increase your, your draft odds for the lottery. I yeah. don't, I don't know if that would be, that would be, Hey, that'd be more, that'd be more games, more rev. Right. That would be from fan engagement. It would be great. Cause you'd be going to see a team that cared, except like now these players are trying hard so that they can get a high draft pick and get a guy that's going to come take their job. It's like, that's well, why I think financially, like if you give them like a bonus, I guess, but yeah, there you I mean, go. for sure. Yeah. yeah. You could definitely do financial bonuses. I don't know. It, I think basically, I think we're both kind of like it's pretty good right now. It's, it's definitely better than it was. What did know? you think about the wheel where it's like your, your mark to have a certain pick inside a certain like range of the year. So you, the theory is you plan your rebuilds around that. I'm not smart enough uh, to understand all that. I feel like, I, I mean, I don't like kind of, it right off the, if, if that's any consolation, I, I don't, I'm not really a fan of it because I think that there are injuries and the whims of players, which is yeah. fine that can thrust you into different timelines where you can't look. I think we're at a point where you could plan like, not as far out as ever to where it was just like, remember teams were playing for like free agency, like three years from now, or they would like build these teams. Like, right, like we have four years together or something. You can't even plan two seasons ahead anymore. Yeah. I think it, it imposes like an inflexibility on a roster rebuilding that could just like kill a team potentially, you know, they're, they, it takes away the freedom. I think of, of kind of structuring it how you want, even though, yeah, you're right. You can't really, you know, think, let's talk about 2025 free agency is not really a thing anymore. Um, got a team specific one here from Rome 8180 with the Raptors being painfully average. Do you think they should, what do you think they should do come December 15th? And what do you think they will do? And then there's all these options, you know, I think Siakam probably makes them too good to tank. Do you move him in a big trade? If so, who else might be involved? Um, what might the return for Siakam be? It's just kind of a breakdown of like, is it Siakam? Is it OG? Do they do something smaller with Trent or even Van Fleet? I'm injecting Van Vliet because that's part of my answer. Um, good targets for them. It's basically, what 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 should the Raptors do? Not necessarily December 15th specific, but with respect to trading or not trading and building this roster. What they should do, I think, is actually try to level up. And it's, I'm not saying trade Scotty Barnes, but like you have your own picks. You have contracts that can matter, like Gary Trent Jr. And like Fred Van Fleet, I wouldn't be opposed to trading him, whether you're rebuilding or trying to make a win-now move. Find the half-court engine who's not Pascal Siakam or Scotty Barnes. And like that, you know, every... I don't even know if it has to be in every level, but like the outside-level shot creator who is going to put defenses in rotation from these, you know, zero standstills a little bit more and is going to hit the tough-off-the-dribble threes. Um, and can do more inside the arc than maybe a Fred Van Fleet at this point, or operate at a higher processing speed than from a standstill than a Pascal Siakam or a or a Scotty Barnes, and that's what I would do if I was the Raptors. Now, does that market exist for that player? Is a different story. I still think that they could make like an Eric Gordon. Like they can, I would buy if I'm Toronto, and it can be a small buy where it's like if you get Eric Gordon, no, that's not the answer. You're not giving up Fred Van Fleet or your future for him. 
But I do think that's someone who with the rim pressure he provides, the long distance outside shooting, and then being able to fit schematically in their defense. I know he's not the size of player that they typically want. And look, that's the other thing is I would tell him to fucking dictate from this, you know, ar- like archetypical model that they have. Uh, like it's okay to have players who are not between six, seven and six, nine be prominent parts of your rotation. So that's what I would do. If that market doesn't exist or if they just think like, Hey, Gary Trent jr. Player option this year, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam extension eligible this year, Fred Van Fleet headed to free agency this year. Um, and they don't want to pay these guys then I would look at moving Fred Van Fleet for sure. Like, I think there's a team that would give up real stuff. The Knicks might even still give up real stuff for him, even with Jalen Brunson or Orlando, like just to have him in their house, like so that they don't have to try and go after him in a free agency situation. Um, I would look at moving him if you wanted to go the seller route, because I still think that like Pasco Siakam is top end and you don't move him unless you're going the full scale tear down. And if you're going to do that, that's not something I'd recommend because I think they're better than that. I do think that where they are at right now, where as Rome puts it, they are uh, like average, painfully, I think put it as painfully average. I think there's a higher end outcome with this exact roster still in place. And we were both pretty high on them coming in the regular season. But it's kind of, it feels like it's kind of time to stop straddling at this point. I thought they could really juggle it like the whole two. Two, it wasn't really two different timelines, but the whole like, oh, we're going to, Scotty Barnes might just become the swing, spe- swing piece immediately when we're a contender you need to either get there faster or maybe it's just make sure you're not locking yourself into this course. You remain flexible enough to make changes one way or the other. Yeah, I think I agree that there. So I just was looking at the data because I was thinking, you know, how, how bleak is this really? Or how uninspiring is it? Maybe that's the better word. So their best five Van Vliet, Trent Barnes, Ananobi, Siakam, they're my, they have a slightly negative net rating in like 200 possessions this year, which is basically nothing. Last year, they were plus 1.8, like not great for your theoretical best five guys. So it's kind of like you kind of have a, a theory of how this is going to work. Now, Barnes could get a lot better and that changes things. But I still think they're in a good position because you can go either way. Like you said, I think this is a totally half-baked thing, but clearly half-court shot creation is the problem. Maybe Dead you last see- in half-court efficiency for the year, by the way. Yeah. terrible and really not all that different from last year when i think they were bottom three bottom five it's like this is a known thing this roster's strengths and weaknesses are very very known it's this this is not a surprise um half-baked trey young like you need some half-court shot creation does that go sour in atlanta like i don't know what it takes to do that personally so that's going one way the other way is you see maybe if you can get picks for Van Fleet and Trent, like make it a pick centric package because building around OG Barnes and Siakam, super flexible. You can, you need a point guard and a center, right? Like we can do that. We've still got the wings. We just don't need to go all in. Can you get the Lakers picks for one or both? Like, can you take on Westbrook? There's you could go way down. You could go way up. You could take on money. You could shed money. They have a lot of options, but I think we agree that like right now, I don't, I don't know like how many more like revelations or levels up this current core has. So you can, you can, you can play it safe. You could pivot from Van Vliet alone from, you can just sort of, you know, I don't think what I, what I think you don't want to do is just go into next year with, you know, hoping Van Vliet and Trent or not knowing what Van Vliet and Trent are going to do with their player options and sort of expecting like the same thing. And banking on, well, Barnes needs to get way better or we don't really have a path forward. I think you get one of those years. But then if the if the two years on either side of that 
look pretty much identical. Like I just, it's a third year is not going to cut it. So go way down, go way up, but, but don't, don't just run it back with the same group. Keep those three guys. Everybody else can, is like on the table. What'd you do if it's just salary? Cause you're not getting Ojan and Obi for this. If you're Denver, would you take on Michael Porter Jr. If it's just salary, you're giving up salary, the non Van Fleet Siakam OG category. Yeah, probably. Cause I think he might address it's, it's a kind of an upside thing. Maybe you know, I forget already who we said was that Utah's in the upside game. Um, it's risky, but it is like, it is something that would address in theory, some of your spacing it doesn't address your shot creation. You still need somebody to, to break the defense, to get into the paint. And either I thought I'm get... Beasley as sort of like the middle ground might be the way to go there, but I don't yeah, know what he would to get out of Utah. That's the thing. I, I just, with a roster like this, you could talk yourself into like almost anybody fitting because you, your core is three guys that can just be anywhere from like two to five and can play both ends of the floor. Um, so I think they have a ton of options. I just, I just don't want to see the same thing again. Cause I still really like it, all the, all three of those guys. And I like Van Vliet too, but I just don't know that he's the right guy for what this offense needs. I had, and I can't remember who it was. A, I think it might've been Ian in discord propose if the Raptors tore it down, would they be open to building something around Siakam for Simons and a bunch of stuff? And Simons brings a lot of what they need at the expense of Siakam. If Van Fleet is still there, you're presumably, if you're moving Siakam, you might as well move Fred Van Fleet at that right. point too. Um, that would be an interesting core to build around, except that Simons does not fit the mold of like the player prototype that they're going for. He is exactly, I would say, if there was a way to get him where it was, you were going the pick, like, OG Ananobi and picks for Anthony Simons. I think a lot of people might believe that OG Ananobi is the better overall player, but I think you could argue Simons might be their better overall fit. OG might win defensive player of the year though. So I'm not, and I'm, I don't mean to sound the panic alarm on Toronto. They're, I think they're 14th in offense and 10th in defense. They're under 500. They have a better point differential than that. Maybe there's other levels to this. Otto Porter Jr.'s injury hasn't helped them much, but like the half court issue is a thing. Like right. I was told last year by a lot of Raptors fans, not all that it, it wasn't a thing. It's a thing. And you either need to address it or if you're not going to, and you're sort of just waiting, then yeah, I would probably look at Van Fleet and Trent trade specifically. And Mm -hmm. look, Van Fleet has been like not great this year. overall. Small guards do not have a history of aging well. And he is, he is one of those. And I love, I love him. I thought I've caped for him to be an all-star more than once, but you know, does he still decline his player option of 22.8 million for next year? If, if we just started, probably, probably right. Yeah. It's not that, it's not that big. I think both of them, but Trent too. Um, all right. So we have uh, from Retro Braden. Uh, I'm sure you've probably already been asked the question. Uh, and this is based on seeing the team and how much it feels like Anthony Edwards' team. Uh, do you think the Timberwolves should trade Cat? And if so, what are some spots you think would fit him best, teams that would or could realistically trade for him? I will say I watched, I've watched a lot of the Timberwolves since the Cat injury. I don't really even understand who they are. Like, it's been nice to see Rudy Gobert has been doing more on offense and Kyle Anderson's been really good. Anthony Edwards is coming along. D'Angelo Russell's had a great stretch. They just got trucked by the Portland Trailblazers. And I'm not saying Cat would have fixed their defense, but things can still get clumpy for them on the offensive end. And I don't think that this is an issue of just Carl Anthony Towns. It could be an issue of, it's a confluence of so many things. Um, some of the decisions that, like Chris Finch not calling a timeout in the Blazers game. It felt like there's been a lot of moments where he could have done a better job doing that this season. Um, I'm not trying to be like, oh, call timeouts better. That'll fix everything. The fact that this team hasn't had a ton of run together to begin with because Towns missed part of training camp um, and preseason when he got sick 
not having that familiarity. And you're also kind of trying to fit four players on offense who sort of fancy themselves like different levels of hubs um, in Rudy, D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, and Carl Anthony Towns. Dane Moore made a great point on his podcast. We've seen this team kind of struggle with the iteration of Towns. And now we've, we're getting to see the information on the chapter without Towns. The next chapter is how does this now come together once he comes back? And how does do they figure out a way to assimilate Towns into, oh, we're getting X from Kyle Anderson and this is working. And D'Lo has found himself. And Anthony Edwards has really found his the pep back in his step on both ends of the floor. How does Towns fit into that? And so it's after that, after he returns and after they continue to struggle, that's when you have to start asking the more wholesale questions. As for which teams could theoretically get in the running for him, I think you would definitely see the Knicks be in there. Um, I would want OKC, but they wouldn't. So that, like, that wouldn't be a team. I've wondered if the Warriors would get involved, like throwing all their picks and their young players in there and whether that would even be enough at this point. Um, Charlotte's too encumbered with picks, but that would be a type of move that they, like their protections on the pick that they owe makes it really difficult. And they don't have a lot of like, who's really interested in PJ Washington leading into restricted free agency. So like that is a team that I considered. I thought about, I don't think that Phoenix would view towns as an upgrade over Aiton at this point, And we, we could quibble about that, but defensively it's not even close. Would the blazers get involved like dangling shade and sharp. That could be something to look at. And I also thought about, and I don't know how like the two teams I thought about that. I don't know how like weird this is Memphis. And if you're not trading Bain, triple J or John Morant, like that would be the stipulation. Um, and, or Toronto, just like they're never ending search for a big and it's, you can play him and Siakam together. And what does that cost you though? Like are you giving up, you're probably not going to want to give up Scotty Barnes, but you're really getting out of that deal without giving up OG Ananobi. And that's the trouble with trading towns is that if you're in the Timberwolves position, Rudy Gobert is like, this isn't, I guess Anthony Edwards is young enough to where you could trade both towns and Gobert and kind of start over and hope that you recruit enough of your draft stock. But then all of a sudden, so you're a net, even, let's say you're a net, even in picks, none of them are your own. So it's like, you're, you're at the behest of all these other teams. So you need to get impact value back for that, for whoever you're trading. And so like, you know, if Jeremy Grant's involved from Portland with Shaden Sharp, like, yeah, maybe you could talk yourself into that if there are picks built around it. With Toronto, the package that I just outlined, the Knicks can certainly send you guys who are capable of playing right now. I just don't know that a Carl Anthony Towns trade or his absence at all really addresses much of anything for this team. And so I would, I'm against, I still think Carl Anthony Towns is a spectacular star. Yeah, I, I would I would echo pretty much everything you said. You got all my teams too. I think oh, I think I? Toronto was one because it's like there was a time where, you know, we think of certain guys like Trey Young is one of these guys where except for this year, but for a long time, you know, Steph even or or, or I'm trying to think who else, Luca, where if you have this guy, your offense is top ten. Is it supposed to be good? Towns was kind of one of those guys where he was just such an impactful offensive force that you could just figure out how to score when he was on the floor. It just, he was that good, that good of a shooter, that dominant. So Toronto, we got to score in the half court. We also like could use a center that can do something, you know, dynamic with the ball. That's something I think, but I'm just like, you got to wait. You just don't know enough. And and really the other thing, I thought this was a feature of, or of, of one of the ways to defend the go bear trade, which is, well, if this goes all to shit, you still got Anthony Edwards. And so your next X number of years are still going to be okay. Right. Cause you can build around him. You're, it's sort of a two timeline thing, I guess, but it was like a, like a, there was an out, you know, if, if, if everything goes terrible, you have to trade Gobert for pennies on the dollar 
or you keep him this whole time and it doesn't work. You still got Edwards. You still have him under team control. You're never going to be that bad if he hits the level we think he's going to get to. But now it's almost like, well, if you do trade Towns for picks, say, well, why is Gobert on a team now suddenly that's got all these picks stashed? It just or or if you trade Towns, it's like, well, you just traded another youngish guy, and so now it just doesn't. It that's so that's all to circle back and say. We just don't know enough yet. We haven't had a long enough adjustment period. It's obviously been very difficult when everybody's been on the floor to sort of get this thing figured out. I think you got to give it at least this full year with everybody healthy for as long of as much of it as you can. And then even next year, like you got to go to the deadline next year, I think, before you really get serious about a town's trade. I'd be with you on that. Uh, how about you take us out of here? Uh, so everybody, thank you for listening. We encourage you, plead, request that you, uh, humbly request that you continue to like, subscribe, follow us on socials. Uh, they're posted here on the video. Uh, keep providing mailbag questions. We love we love doing these. Um, we'll do some hotter knots again, I'm sure. But these are always great. Um, and this is you know a podcast that we do because we like to do it, but we also like it because we can give listeners and viewers what they want. And that's a cool aspect of it. So five stars, everything, tell your friends, uh, please continue to listen, continue to provide good ideas and we'll keep doing it. So uh, before we go, we have some apologies to make to Jared Allen and some shout outs to Frank Nilakino, greatest human on earth who hit a three last night, which I saw with my own two eyes. And in N one. And yep. He's a great player. He's just needed an opportunity. So we'll take you out. Double shout out Frank Nilakino. You the best. <laughs>